Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Anyone who's ever made a movie or watched one made or just read about the process tends to be a bit sceptical about the auteur theory, that French idea that there's only one person, the genius director, who really makes a film. Not only does this ignore the contributions of everyone else, the cameraman, the editor, costumes, makeup, music, to say nothing of the humble writer, it also forgets that the genius director often turned up late in the piece and only took it on to pay a few outstanding debts. I need something fresh. Something different. It was the knife that, a moment later, cut off her scream and her head. Charming. Doris Day should do it as a musical. But in one respect, the auteur fans aren't wrong. In film, as in all the arts, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Any decent painter could paint a Mona Lisa, but only Leonardo could have made it into the Mona Lisa, just as only Beethoven could have come up with the idea of the Eroica. What are you giving us today? Will we find it original? It's original from beginning to end. (laughs) That's impossible, sure. The fact is, I've taken a new direction. A new direction. A new path. OK, most movies don't rise to those exalted heights, but the major distinction between a good one and a bit of a clunker is the team that put it together. Really? Worst film you ever saw? Well, my next one will be better. Hello? The difference between a good script and a bad one isn't usually what it's about or even how efficiently it's told. It's about coming up with a fresh approach, something individual, something that a computer program can't duplicate. But you'll never read the true story about the rest of us who were part of it. Me, for instance, Joe Gillis, a promising young writer from Dayton, Ohio. And Betty, that nice kid I met at a Hollywood party who knew nothing about me but knew what she wanted. It's the same with actors. A good cast takes that script and makes it their own. Actors can be chosen because they're perfect for their roles, but sometimes it's more interesting when they swap, like character actor Catherine Keener and sex bomb Cameron Diaz in the film Being John Malkovich. Do you know that I don't even know your name or where you work? And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. (laughs) So, honey, you thought any more about us having a baby? I think that maybe we should just wait and see if this job thing pays off. There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine, and it takes you inside John Malkovich. And that really is where the good director comes into his or her own, making decisions. So many things can go wrong with a film, and every one of those is the result of a decision, often by the director. Well, does that make the director a genius or simply lucky? Often, even they don't know the answer. What in heaven's name brought you to Casablanca? My health. I came to Casablanca for the waters. The waters? What waters? We're in the desert. I was misinformed. Hmm. 
This week sees a wide range of films from a wide range of filmmakers. Japanese anime, an American-European crime comedy and a documentary about a hundred-year-old act of heroism reshaped as a climate change lesson. Oddly, the best film comes from a creative team whose average age is well into the 80s, led by playwright Alan Bennett. Ah. <laughs> You'll put us all out of a job. I said that to my computer the day they digitalised the library. I was at the forefront of modernisation. But before that, I popped in to see a Japanese animated film made by the other great anime master, Makato Shinkai. Like the more famous Hayao Miyazaki, Shinkai often features teenage girls as his leads, as he does in Suzumi. The first thing anyone notices in Japanese animation is how wonderful it looks, particularly the landscapes. Unlike their American rivals, Japanese animators go for a hand-painted, almost watercolour look. Each frame is not only stunningly beautiful, it's brilliantly realistic. The clouds in the sky, the shimmer on the water, the toss of the hair, right down to the artfully casual way rubbish is tossed in the street. This film opens on our young heroine Suzume on her way to school. On the way, she's smitten by the gorgeous Suta, who tells her he's looking for a particular door. She's puzzled, but not as puzzled as she's going to be. The door is a portal to another world, we later discover. And there comes a moment when we realise we're not in Pixar or Disney anymore, Toto. Is it the talking cat, perhaps? Is it the curse the cat bestows on Suta, which turns him into a small chair with a missing leg? Even as a chair, he's still keen on finding doorways, incidentally. Doorways that allow giant red worms to escape and then collapse on Japanese cities. Suzumi is even more puzzled. You probably don't blame her. All right, I'll stop. It's hard enough keeping up with the plot of a film like Suzumo with only untranslated Japanese dialogue to go on. But without the pictures, which are stunning, it's pretty much impossible. It's 
If you have fond memories of the classic Spirited Away, which also had a uniquely Japanese attitude to fantasy plots, then I suspect you'll love Suzume. Despite the apparently bizarre random plot, there's a lot more to it, and believe it or not, despite the ambulatory chair, it all makes sense in the end. I wish I could say the same about Mafia Mama. You know what? I am not a boss. By via. Especially not in a mafia kind of way. If the boss says you are the boss, you are the boss now. Mafia Mama blends various plot clichés badly. There's the fish out of water, the feminist fable as Mama breaks out of a suffocating marriage, a comedy crime romp, and, belatedly, a parody of a rather more well-known mafia movie. We have to kill those Romanos before they kill us! It's just like The Godfather. Oh, right, yeah, I never saw The Godfather. Okay, look, it's really hard to find three and a half hours. And it stars two women not usually associated with lowbrow comedy, Australian Tony Collette and Italian Monica Bellucci. Oh, this is insane. Where would I even begin? Shh, Are we actually the mafia? Your grandfather preferred to call it the invisible family. OK, Tony did cut her teeth playing Muriel in Muriel's Wedding, but these days she's better known for Dark Affair, notably the terrifying Hereditary. And the stately and glamorous Monica has specialised almost entirely in dramatic roles. So, can they carry off what's essentially carry-on mafia? Let's see. I have terrible news. Your grandfather is dead. I don't even know him. They want me to fly to Rome tomorrow night to settle his affairs. I mean, shouldn't I stay here and work on my marriage? Kristen? All-American mom Kristen, Tony Collette, is told her long-estranged Italian grandfather has died and she's summoned to Rome for the funeral. This happens, in one of those coincidences that only happen in bad comedy scripts, at the precise time she discovers her husband is cheating on her. Her gym buddy Jenny tells her to seize the day, so she does. Start thinking about you. I landed safe in Italy. The Colosseum. Oh, what? Where is it? Can we go back? We have to go to the funeral. At the funeral, she meets Grandpa's secretary, Bianca, Monica Bellucci, and various amusing, hatchet-faced Italian men who go to some trouble not to tell her anything until the last minute. The last minute being the drive to the funeral, where they're set upon by gun-wielding gangsters. What did my grandfather do? Since Kristen doesn't have access to the movie poster of Mafia Mama, she needs some explanation. This is forthcoming at the reading of the will. And because it's a movie, the reading is a videotape of the late grandpa telling Kristen she has to take over the family business. My dying wish is that you be the new boss of the Balbano family. Now, you may think a suburban mum with assertiveness issues is hardly the right person to run a mafia family. That's certainly the position taken by the rest of the family and, frankly, by most of the audience. So it's now the task of Mafia Mama to not only convince us of this hilarious idea, but do something with it. I've got a lot going on at home. My son just went to college and my husband just cheated on me. You want me to take care of him? Hmm? No! No! 
No. No, no, no. Well, this is the job of director Catherine Hardwick, better known for teen fare like 13 and Twilight than comedy gangsters or comedy mums for that matter. And I have to say that she regularly drops the ball throughout Mafia Mama. We need someone who's level-headed, unassuming and empathetic. Did you just call me pathetic? Aside from the hard-to-believe story, the film is notable for ineffective casting, wayward shifts in tone, and a tin ear for comedy. If you're going to kill people in a comedy, and my advice is try not to, then stabbing them repeatedly and graphically in the head with stiletto heels may be a little confronting. I've been here two days, and I've been almost murdered twice. That's one per day. I'm going to need a lot more sex to calm me down. Time is strangely flexible in Mafia Mama too. Kristen falls in love with a total stranger within five minutes of getting off the plane and then spends far more time chasing after him than dodging various homicidal rival gangsters. She also seems to learn how to make world-class wine in about a week or two, such as the power of a musical montage. You're the boss. Well, the boss takes care of business. I made muffins. In fact, every ten minutes, it seems, there's another reason to be irritated by Mafia Mama, like those muffins. Do I blame Tony Collette? Well, I suppose she's only following the orders of director Catherine Hardwick. But Catherine's following the orders of her producer, who turns out to be Tony Collette. I'm tired of this war. My family is tired of this war. Oh my gosh, TripAdvisor does not lie. Can I get another scoop? To be fair, Tony's not the only producer. There are another 24 of them. Never a good sign. They say success has a thousand parents, while failure is an orphan. Sadly, the opposite seems to be the case in Mafia Mama. I think the blame can be shared among everyone. I'm still in the dark here. No, no, it's a, it's a figure of speech. The story of the famous English explorer Ernest Shackleton is a well-known one, particularly that of his disastrous 1914 expedition to the Antarctic on a ship called, prophetically, the Endurance. It's been told many times, including a 1919 documentary produced by Shackleton himself and a TV miniseries starring Kenneth Branagh. What I do appears unreasonable to other men, I know that. But I will be in Antarctica this year, I promise you. You have to go. If you didn't, who would you be? I couldn't go on without you, and that is the truth. Winston Churchill, there's only one word. Proceed. Among the many documentaries was one featuring Australian adventurer Tim Jarvis as he retraced Shackleton's steps on the ill-fated Endurance. Now, Jarvis is doing it again, alternating Shackleton's story and actual footage from 1914 with his own present-day commentary. Antarctica is a cold, isolated and unforgiving place. And 100 years ago, it was as remote as space is to us now. You may ask why go over it all again, and that question is never quite satisfactorily answered. 
But it's been a while since I'd heard the story and the film Shackleton managed to maintain my interest to the end. And it can't be denied, it may very well justify its subtitle, The Greatest Story of Survival. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton set out to become the first man to cross the Antarctic continent. Shackleton's voyage was already a sensation months before the Endurance set sail. Thousands had applied to join the crew, but in the end, just 28 were chosen, many of them called Frank for some reason. Captain Frank Worsley drove the ship as close to the Antarctic continent as he could, all the time being filmed by a daredevil cameraman called Frank Hurley. Everything went wrong, and incredibly, they managed to capture it all on film. Millions of tons of ice pressed upon the little ship that had dared the challenge of the Antarctic. But disaster struck. The ship became icebound, unable to go further or to go back. And this was where Ernest Shackleton showed his mettle. He realised the mission had now changed from exploration to survival and escape. The task is to reach land with all the members of the expedition. Environmental scientist Tim Jarvis. Australian explorer Tim Jarvis. Is the only man to have ever recreated the harrowing journey of Ernest Shackleton. And modern-day explorer Tim Jarvis is uniquely the right man to imagine what Shackleton might have been thinking. When it became clear that they had to abandon ship, Shackleton had to decide what to take with them, how to ration food, and critically, whether to drag three cumbersome lifeboats across the rough terrain. Our home was being shattered under our feet. The prospect on a piece of ice like this one, no one would ever find you. You'd be condemned to the sea forever. The journey was unbelievably daunting. They lost their way more than once, and when they finally reached solid ground, Elephant Island, that was just the first step. The worst was to come, a journey across the mountainous southern ocean waves in a cockleshell craft only built for the shortest of trips. Every step over unknown ground, I'd hope that the fates would be kind to us. But the task was beyond our powers. This documentary, Shackleton, is divided between two narrators, Jarvis and the diary kept by Shackleton himself, which in many ways covers the extraordinary story without need of much embellishment. The temperature was 20 degrees below freezing point. Greenstreet's right foot had got badly frostbitten, but Lee's restored it by holding it in his sweater against his stomach. My eyes began to fail me. I could not see or judge distance properly and found myself falling asleep at the tiller. But Tim Jarvis's commentary offers some insight into what motivates people to put themselves through such terrifying ordeals, and he also points out the effect of climate change over the past hundred years. For instance, he reaches one spot where Shackleton couldn't land because a glacier reached right down to the coastline. Today, the same spot is almost ice-free. I'm retracing Shackleton's path once more because I believe his powerful leadership is what we need now to save Antarctica from man. But Jarvis has another message in this film as much about Shackleton's leadership style as about the undoubted courage and grit shown by the entire crew of the Endurance. 
Shackleton made sure his crew never had a moment to dwell on their plight. He devised games, research projects, all sorts of things to do, and most important tasks that could be achieved. We had suffered, starved and triumphed. We had seen God in his splendors. We had reached the naked soul of men. Shackleton led from the front to a fault, possibly. There was never any question who was in charge. But those were the qualities needed to get through a year and a half of one of the most daunting expeditions ever attempted. Jarvis's final thesis, that we need the spirit of Shackleton to solve global warming, may be a bit of a long bow to draw, but he sells it pretty well in this account. If Shackleton's leadership has taught us anything, it's how to achieve the impossible truly making this the greatest story of survival. English playwright Alan Bennett is a bit of a force of nature, albeit a modest one. Best known for his many plays in the theatre and on TV, he's also written several award-winning movies, including The Madness of King George, The Lady in the Van and The History Boys. Bennett's latest is called Alleluia, based on a recent play. Alan Bennett is nearly 90. This isn't just a hospital. That's wonderful, maybe. Think sunshine. It's the best, and the best is the people. Gorgeous Gerald, the physio, will be paying us a call. Oh, that's it. I'm definitely wearing my shorty nighty. Alleluia is set in a hospital for the elderly, the Bethlehem, nicknamed The Beth, and deals with people of roughly the same age as Bennett. So you might expect his own powers might be fading a little too. I certainly did as I watched the trailer full of many senior English performers and braced myself for yet another old folks in a home comedy drama. There's a camera crew here helping us to save the Beth. This is chipped. No wonder the government are going to close you down. But it's not that. The performers may be senior, but they're here to work, and Alan Bennett's play, adapted for the screen by Heidi Thomas, showrunner of the popular medical series called The Midwife, gives them something to get their teeth into. We're fighting for our right to care. We're engaged. off. It's nothing less than a battle cry on behalf of Britain's beleaguered NHS, under fire in 2018 when the play was written, and even more so now post-COVID. The story opens with the Beth in danger of being closed by a right-wing government. It's also the last week at work for longtime senior nurse Sister Gilpin, a rare straight role for comedian Jennifer Saunders. First, I'm going to take your trousers off. Bet you've said that a few times. I'm no interest in your penis. The film is full of familiar faces, though unlike the usual all-star fare, the likes of Judy Dench, Derek Jacobi and David Bradley weren't hired for their celebrity. They were hired because they're good. Here's an uncredited Amanda Root offering to skydive to raise funds for the Beth. Five are a strip to win a week in Cleethorpes. Oh, you can sponsor me to do a skydive. Do you know... You've a lovely man of weather. I like old people. Rubbish. Even old people don't like old people. 
There's a regular visitor, Colin. I wonder how many Alan Bennett characters have been called Colin over the years, who's not just there to bring his dad a bunch of grapes. These days, Colin's a consultant for the government, charged with closing down the Beth as soon as possible. You've gone far, Colin. All I can think of to say is, don't leave it too late to die. Neville, tell him about your life. I used to work in a factory. I had ten men under me. So did I on a good day. <laughs> now, I have to say, some people have complained that Alleluia is far from the light, breezy comedy they were promised in the trailer. And they're right. It's as dedicated to the values of the public health service as anything by Ken Loach, though Alan Bennett brings something of his own. His voice is unmistakable. Oh, camera. Hidden inside there. Yeah, you can take a still pictures or a video and, as I've explained... Then the filmmakers might use your footage in their documentary. It's no thicker than a monthly periodical. Yorkshire-born Judy Dench, finally allowed to use her original accent. Is there a phrase more Alan Bennett than monthly periodical? At the start, the film, narrated by expat Indian Dr Valentine, seems to be a series of Bennett's well-known character sketches. The patient's... Without the best, I don't like to think where they will have to go. There was something about books that excited me. Marginalia. The little notes. Readers write at the edges of the page. The patients pushed to the margins, doomed to be rubbed out. But we're being softened up. The pitch-perfect direction is by another octogenarian theatrical, the great Richard Eyre, who long ago worked with Judy Dench on another film about ageing, Iris. Well, the filmmakers say they simply want your point of view. For you to record what you see, to tell them what your life is like. I could tell you something about that chair, only I won't. Air deftly focuses on the characters who count in Alleluia. Sister Gilpin, tough but caring, soft-hearted Dr Valentine, and Russell Tovia's Colin, wielding a sword over the Beth in the name of efficiency. And just as we settle into a worthy, if well-written, opinion piece about the values of post-war Britain, Alan Bennett pulls the rug under us, not once, but twice. We do the things that have had to be done since the world was young. I have cared. We're here for your first cry, for your last breath. I didn't see the first one coming, and Bennett himself didn't see the second one when a pandemic upended all of Britain's expectations. The play Alleluia was given a brilliant final scene for the post-COVID era, and the film itself is a tribute to another national treasure, the veterans of British drama. We will be here when you're old. We are love itself, and for love, there is no charge. It's so much better than you might expect, even if some critics may have wished for something meeker and weaker. But they clearly haven't been paying attention to the author. Alan Bennett, after all these years, he's still undeniably got it. And how many of us can say the same thing? On that tribute to longevity, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.